year. Today is a beautiful day, great first day of the week. The Lord's given us so many blessings in this life that we should be thankful for. You know, first off, I'd like to welcome you to La Prada Church of Christ if you're visiting with us. We're so glad that you chose to, to come join us in service to God this morning. We'd kindly ask, including service, stick around for a few minutes. Let us have the opportunity to introduce ourselves, introduce you to La Prada, but most importantly, thank you for being here today and this morning. You know, this morning, I want to take a few minutes to discuss faithfulness. You see, faithfulness is an attribute that God the Father possesses, and many times, I think, we fail to recognize just how much of an impact that has on each of our lives in the world today. You know, that attribute, faithfulness, in and of itself defines God's character. And it's through one's characteristics that we describe the quality of the individual that we're speaking. Think about it, negative attributes typically lead us to want to avoid an individual, stand clear of them. Whereas positive attributes, we tend to enjoy being around and make us feel better. They're people that we respect and hold up for many different reasons. You oftentimes, we, we, we describe people by their physical attributes or, or by their characteristic features. We traditionally refer to someone as being trustworthy or, or a loving person based on our experiences with them. To be trustworthy, to be held in high regard, to be loved, means that at some point we had an interaction with that individual, most likely more than once, in which they have proven to us that they are worthy of that respect. This morning I want to talk about God's attributes, but specifically faithfulness. I think you'll find that faithfulness is central to the characteristic, or the character rather, of God, of our Lord and Savior. You know, if, if I were to approach you and tell you that an individual was faithful, what would be the first thing that comes to mind? I think for most of us, when we think of faithfulness, we think of a marriage. We think of spouses being faithful to each other. But faithfulness implies so much more than just the relationship of a husband and wife. Indeed, it is part of being a devout husband or wife. Faithfulness in and of itself is more than that. You know, it's described as a lasting loyalty... A trustworthiness in relationships. Faithfulness comes from the Hebrew, Hebrew word, immuna. And what does that mean? Immuna is often defined and translated as faithfulness, steadiness, trustworthiness. The reason that I point that out is that faithfulness is unique and that the entire world understands faithfulness. You may not know the words, you may not know the definition, but you relate to it. And you relate to it because it's something that starts in the very beginning. Consider a baby and its mother. As soon as that child has the ability to convey appreciation, 
it's seen and how they choose to look at and engage with their, with their mom. The bond of faithfulness is not just given to mom because she gave birth, but rather that bond is realized and developed based on the outpouring of love and the consistently taking care of that child. Mom proves herself to be faithful, and the child recognizes that, and that carries forward with them on the days of their life. You know, that sentiment continues in our lives as those around us prove to be faithful, right? We recognize it. We appreciate it. Even unto the point that we pass away, we hold those that we deem faithful with high regard. Each of us here today, we appreciate the fact that we can count on someone. We don't have to think twice. You see, this morning, we're going to be looking at what it really means to be faithful. Specifically, God's faithfulness to us and the faithfulness that we have towards Him and how that affects the world around us. There we go. My apologies. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9 is going to be the first verse we look at this morning. And it reads, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, He is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. You see, here the word faithful is used to show how God is described in His relationship with Israel. God is faithful in keeping His covenant, and we, God's children, God's people, we are to be faithful in keeping His commandments. Now, when we see the word faithful in the New Testament, it carries the same exact meaning as it does in the Old Testament. When it's used, it's conveying that an individual being described as loyal or worthy of trust. You know, the whole idea is that someone is truly loyal to God. God is faithful. God was the first faithful. God shows us what faithfulness is. And because of that, we as people of faith are to have an unwavering, steadfast commitment to God, and that even transcends to those around us. You know, in Scripture, when the word faithfulness is used, it describes either God's relationship to the world or the relationship that He expects us to have with Him. Specifically, many times, it's referring to the relationship that He had with Israel, all of which can correlate down to us in the lives that we live today. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 25, the end of that verse says, Yet I give my judgment as one that hath obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. See, in this verse, Paul is speaking to who? He's speaking to the church in Corinth here. And what he's telling them is that it's only through God's mercy that he could even be called faithful. Now, why is that? It's only through God that we understand faith. Without God, there is no faith. Faithfulness would not exist. It would be a world that is lost without even the understanding of such. Revelations 2 verse 10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. You know, with respect to being faithful, 
when we think of faithfulness and we apply it to our, our lives today, do we ever really consider the fact that to truly be faithful means to be faithful unto death? Is that something that really crosses our mind? Or is faith and faithfulness diminished to a point that we just accept it in our everyday interactions? That it's either here or it's there. You know, sometimes it's, it's convenient, other times it's not. You know, when we consider faithfulness and take time to recognize the gravity of unto death, the impact that that has on our life, these writings take on a whole different perspective. Again, in Ephesians 1, verse 1, Paul writes, An apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Using this to point out that he's addressing this letter, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Elsewhere we read that that, that that faithful word being used to describe God's relation towards the people in his creation. What it means to be faithful is more than just a lackadaisical approach or a somewhat respect that we have towards each other or towards something. You know, for a moment, consider your employer. Most of us today have jobs. We have a payday. We expect compensation to be deposited into our account for the work that we've done. But what if on occasion your employer just deposited 80% of it? No explanation. You just get 80% of your compensation and life goes on. Would that be acceptable? Would you keep that job? Well, absolutely not, right? The reality is... We have an understanding with our employer that we're going to perform a task, and in performing that task, we're expected to be compensated for whatever agreed amount we've chosen. In order for us to be happily employed, we've got to have faith that our employer is, number one, capable of taking care of our compensation, but number two, is trustworthy in delivering that each and every payday. You know, think about when you're dealing with a faithful person. You have no doubt that they're going to keep their word, right? You know that they're going to keep their promises even if it comes at a cost to them. Now, this morning, most of us are married. Those that aren't married have been in relationships before. And by nature, those relationships sometimes have to require us to make decisions, change plans to ensure that the other is taken care of. Why do we do that? We do that because we're faithful. We do that because we love them. We make that sacrifice because of the relationship that we have with them. That is the relationship that God implores us to have with him. You know, nobody wants to be associated with someone that only is good part of the time. How many folks do you find yourself desiring to be around that really is only good part of the time? You know, I heard it described as, who wants to be known as the person that runs the 95-yard dash? Well, no one, right? But why? Because the last five yards matter. 95 yards gets us nowhere in a 100-yard race. You see, 
It doesn't matter what we're doing in life. It doesn't matter what relationship we're speaking of. What matters is that we are faithful. What matters is that we press forward and we continue regardless of what comes before us. Because we love, we appreciate, we respect, and we are faithful to the cause. Our employers are not interested in us almost performing a task. That's not going to work. They have faith in giving us that objective, that task, that project, that we are going to complete it in a timely fashion. And that we're not going to give up. That's true in every aspect of life. But it's especially true in our relationship with our creator. You know, scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9 that God is faithful. By whom we are called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ, our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24. Faithful is he that calleth you. Who also will do it. Simply said, God is faithful to all and in all things. I'm going to look at a couple of examples of that. Consider God, God's promises to Abraham. Let's read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country. And from thy kindred and from thy father's house into the land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now what's the significance of that? God promised Abraham a lot said that his name's going to be great. said that he's going to have his own nation. said that his offspring is going to be given. Keep in mind, he and Sarah, his wife, have, have had no children to this point. says that he's going to affect all the families of the earth and be blessed. Now, Putting this in perspective, if you were Abraham and Sarah, they are making this track, thousand miles, thereabouts, on foot, donkey carrying their load, their entourage, if you will. They're making this track across country. He's 75 years old. Sarah is with him, and they've been given this promise. Scripture tells us that... Uh, Genesis 18, 13, that Sarah, again speaking of having a child, kind of laughs under her breath that God's telling them they're going to have a child. Too old to have a child. It's not going to happen. Don't be silly. But what we do know is that that child was had. What we do know in tracking the lineage of Christ is that Christ is a descendant of Abraham. What we can tell, not only through scripture, but also history, 
is that every one of these promises was delivered to him, just as God had said. Another person to consider is King David. We read about him in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's a lengthy reading, but what I'll bring to mind here is that David's given some promises. He's promised that his name is going to be great, and that his people are, are going to be kept from oppression. He's promised that he's going to have rest from his enemies. He's told that he's going to establish the house of David through his children. Who is David? David, of course, is from the lineage. But all of those promises that God gave David, he delivered. We have evidence of that. Scripture tells us that. History shows us that these promises were were delivered to King David. The Bible gives us many examples. I've chosen these two, but the reality is that every promise that God has ever made, he has delivered. Consider Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and it reads, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and I shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It's the importance of this. The importance of this is that it's the third chapter in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and it shows that the power of Satan will be broken. And he kept that promise. How did he keep that promise? kept that promise with the death, the burial, the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That promise is what provides us the confidence in knowing that we can spend an eternity in heaven with him. See, scripture gives us countless examples indeed, but God kept all of his promises Even all the promises that he made the prophets, if you read through the the scripture over and over, and they were countless. He kept every single promise each step of the way. Now, we'd be amiss to not recognize the fact that some of these promises weren't great. For instance, he told Lot and his family when they were exiting Sodom and Gomorrah, don't turn around. And if you do, When she did, Lot's wife, she was turned into a pillar of salt. The point that I'm getting to is that each promise, regardless of how that works out, is kept. God keeps his word each and every time. He's demonstrated that since the beginning of time. And even unto this day in our lives, that's very present. When considering God, faithfulness is and must be a central part of who he is. Now, for a moment, consider what would it be like if, if we couldn't trust God? What if you reasonably could question whether or not God's going to keep his promises, God's going to keep his word? What would the world look like if, if, if that was there? Well, the fact is, that would be awful. I said, well, of course, Brian, that'd be awful because you can't prove that it's God. No, it's awful in, in, in many different ways, but just a few to consider. The whole world changes at that point. There is no longer a hope of salvation because there is no salvation to hope for. 
taking that a step further, the virtues and the moral compass that each of us share, they wouldn't exist. We wouldn't be able to experience love because God is love, and without love, what are we left with? There would be no joy. Where would the joy come from if there's no love? We couldn't recognize good and evil for what it is because at the end of the day, it would just be actions taking place around us. There would be no compass, no no bearing to draw measure from. It is the faithfulness of God that provides the stability and the security in which we enjoy each and every day of our life, if we choose to. And that is why throughout the entire Bible, God exhibits a character that proves over and over and over again that he is worthy of what? He is worthy of love. He is worthy of trust. Why? Because he has been faithful and shall continue to be. This includes the love and the salvation that he has promised us as his children. But this also includes the separation from sin and darkness, which is what takes place when we turn our back on God, those that choose not to be faithful. So in terms of faithfulness, you know, what does faithfulness cover? I'm faithful to God. I follow the gospel. I've been baptized. What does, what does that cover? Gives me, gives me one. Looking again, 1 Corinthians 1 and 9 says, God is faithful to whom we are called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ. Number one, we have to recognize that it covers those that choose to follow Jesus Christ. Titus 3, 4 through 7. But after that, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared. Not by works of righteousness, which we have all done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see, God covers all of our shortcomings, all of our deficiencies, through his love, through his grace. And it's through that love and grace he extends mercy for those that choose to follow him. What does that give us? That gives us the opportunity to have our sins washed away so that that burden is no longer carried with us. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses each and every one of us that choose to follow the gospel. So what do we get out of this? We are spiritually blessed to have a faithful God that we can faithfully follow. But this blessing is only extended to those that choose to follow Him. Those that are faithful to Him and how they live their lives. What does that mean? That means to simply believe that God exists gets us nothing. God, through His Holy Word, has given us a path to salvation. And when we choose to follow the Gospel, He tells us, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8, For bodily exercise profit of little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. 
Consider also Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk upright. You see, God has assured us as His children that on this earth we are going to be blessed if we choose to follow Him. That comes down to, to what is a blessing. I think oftentimes in our lives we... We fail to recognize the blessings that are right in front of us because, because unfortunately, we, we fall prey to the world around us. seems as many times we place our faithfulness to God kind of on a contingency of our position or how we view ourselves in the world in which we operate. We often seem to focus on what we deem to be our struggles or, quite frankly, sometimes... We focus on our selfish desires of what we want to do. What we think we should be doing. Rather than rejoicing in what he has given us and what he has blessed us with. That's not to say that our selfish desire isn't to do something for the kingdom, for him, for God, for the church. What that is saying is that not all of us are blessed in the same way. Not all of us are given that opportunity. And where we do have our strengths... God expects us to maximize those opportunities for his glory. God's also with us, and scripture shows that to us, when we're dealing with temptations, things that, 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 that throw stumbling blocks in our way, trip us up. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape, that ye may be able to bear it. 1 Peter 4, 12-13. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You see, our God will not allow us to encounter or find ourselves in a position that we can't handle. You say, well, Brian, I'm a sinner, though. I, I mess up every day, and it's not because I'm trying to. No, I'm not saying that at all. We all indeed are sinners. But what I'm pointing to is that God always provides us a way out. But we have to sometimes seek that way out. He can't force us to take that option, to turn that way, but rather he presents it and we get to decide. Are we going to be faithful and follow his ways? Are we going to do as we personally desire? But regardless of the situation, God is not going to allow us to be burdened with more than we can handle. Hebrews 8, 13, verse 8, pretty well sums that up. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Why is that important? That's important because history shows us that God has been faithful to us since the creation of man. The scripture shows us continually that God's faithfulness to his creation, to us, his children, has been proven time and time again with compassion, with love, with diligence. And yet if we reflect on it, 
God's faithfulness has proven itself each and every day of our lives in the blessings that he's given us and the opportunities he's afforded us. You see, God and Jesus are faithful and trustworthy and many times in life it's, it's fear, I think, that holds us back. You say, well, you know, maybe it's the fear that they can't trust God. Well, that means that they don't understand the faithfulness of God. They've not taken the time to read the scripture, to understand it. And then nowadays, he's given us the ability to actually look at history to further prove very much a large portion of the Bible. We have all that we need to take comfort in God's faithfulness. But do we choose to vest our time in building our faith to have understanding of our relationship with our Creator. But you know, for some, I think it's the fear of salvation that holds them back. You say, well, Brian, everybody wants to be saved. Nobody wants to burn. Well, that is true. But not everybody understands forgiveness. Most people walk around carrying the burden of sin. And there's no worse feeling in the world than that of of our conscience dealing with the actions and the decisions that we've made in the past. The fear is that how could God forgive them? They're ashamed of what they've done. They've got this preconceived idea that God is going to extend the mercy and the judgment on them that quite frankly they think they deserve. The error is placing their preconceived thoughts on a perfect creator. Because the two are not anywhere near alike. The problem is because they don't have a relationship with God. They don't understand forgiveness. They don't understand what mercy is. How grace is given. And most importantly, they have no conception of what true love is. God is love. And without that, what is there? They just don't understand. But you know, we also see it sometimes in those that have, that have followed the gospel. Those that have been baptized into the body for the remission of sins. Those are the people, myself included. When I'm burdened with something that's just tremendously heavy. When I feel like there is no option. What's the first thing we do? Are we faithful enough to recognize that God is always with us? Do we stop? Do we go to God in prayer? Are we fervent? Or do we take the approach that we know what's best and we're going to figure this out? You see, at the point that we choose self over God, that that is the point that we chose to falter in our faithfulness to our Creator. It's when we chose not to be faithful to God. And then when we're sitting in the mess that, quite frankly, we created by choosing to go it alone, to do it ourselves, it's at that point that many times we feel like we've exhausted all options, so we'll take it to God. 
and because God is a loving Savior, God assists us in seeing it through. But it didn't necessarily have to be that way. You see, God expects us to be faithful. And as we read verses this morning, as we've read the verses this morning, and there's a lot that we haven't read, each one has been a promise. It's been a promise to you and to me, but it's based on one condition. See, one condition is our faithfulness to Him. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. Actually, Scripture tells us that we're all sinners and that we're all going to screw up. He doesn't expect us to ever be perfect, us to ever be able to master living a life perfect in his eyes. But what he does do is he gives us a means of having our sins forgiven and washed away. Of being forgiven and washing its sins away means that it's held against us no more. Yes, we may remember it, we may be bothered by it, but we need to recognize that if our Creator can forgive us of that sin, who are we to hold it against us? See, the stipulation that He places on it is that we must be faithful to Him and seek to follow Him in His way. And that is reflected in how we choose to live our life and what we do. And there's many stories that we've read in the Bible of flawed individuals that are considered what? They are considered faithful men of God. Look at David, spoke of him earlier. He murdered a man. The husband of the woman that he had relations with, with Sheba. Consider Paul. Self-described chief sinner. Hunting down Christians like they're animals. If these men are considered faithful men of God, then what in the world could possibly ever keep us from carrying that same description, that same attribute as being a faithful Christian, faithful child of God? So for Christians, really the question that we have is, are we faithful? Are we that person that's only good for 95 yards of a 100-yard dash? Are we going to do and complete the project we've been given Are we going to finish it? See, as a Christian, our time as a Christian is not part-time, but rather it's a way of life. It is who we are. It is what we do. And it reflects in every decision that we make, be it good or bad, that he's present, he's there, and we take advantage of the opportunity we have to reach out to him and seek his guidance in his way. We don't have bad days where we just give up and walk away. Consider Jesus. What if he had said, I've had enough of this? I'm checking out. What would that have left us? It would have left us with misery. Yet he was faithful. And we are expected to keep keep, keep our promise to him after we've chosen to give our life to him. Revelations 2, verse 10. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall be, have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful, faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Scripture tells us there is only one way to receive salvation, to be faithful until death. 
We can't be halfway committed, trusting that our belief alone will lead us to heaven, because, because that's not faithfulness. That's belief. You know, consider the price that many that have, that have walked before us have paid, giving their lives for their faith. Consider Christ and what he endured on the cross so that we could have that opportunity of salvation. Luke 16, verse 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. See, for many it's easy to get caught up in the ways that God has not blessed us. We get caught up in worrying about what we don't have rather than concentrating on maximizing the talents we do. And when we're troubled by the fact that we haven't been blessed in ways that we desire, that means that we're not focusing on using the talents and the blessings that God has given us in the fashion and the manner that he has chosen for us to do. Hebrews 10 and 23, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. It's through the dedicating of our lives to God that we receive salvation, that it, that it allows us to have an impact on the salvation of those around us. Our salvation, our faithfulness, impacts those around us many times without us even knowing. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 20 reads, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled in God. You see, by, as Christians by nature, we are, a, we are a, a different individual. We are a difference in the world around us. The faithfulness that shines through in the ways that we live our lives, the decisions that we make, they very much are noticed. Our light in this dark world brings opportunities to the lost because, quite frankly, when a person is miserable, they're looking for anything that might supply them with with hope, with joy, with love. And it's through our influence, as we walk confidently through this life, regardless of what we encounter, shining our light, recognizing that our Lord and Savior is faithful to us and will provide. It's that that makes the difference to those that are closest to us in our daily walk. In 2 Corinthians 5, God tells us that he's using us as his ambassadors to the lost. Well, that doesn't mean that we're going to sit down and get to do a Bible study with each and every one of them, does it? For us to be that ambassador means that they are recognizing the difference between their life and our life. And that presents an opportunity to plant a seed. You see, God has shown us time and time again that he is faithful to us. He has demonstrated repeatedly that we can trust him. He gave us his son to die on a cross that we could be set free from the bondage of sin. And all that he asks in return is true Faithfulness. Faithfulness at all times. And that brings us back to the original question, which is, are we faithful to God? 
Are we faithful, faithful to him during the good times and the bad times? Do you believe and have faith? But yet you've chosen not to be baptized. Do we come and worship him on the first day of the week because he's commanded it? Or do we show up once or twice a month? Maybe we show up on Christmas and Easter. Do we go to him in prayer? Or is prayer our last line of defense when all else has is, is, is been exhausted? We go to God with what's left. Make no mistake that our faithfulness to God is for our benefit. Because it's through our faithfulness that he's able to provide for each and every one of us. It's through our faithfulness that we receive the blessings that our God, our Father, intended for us. And in order for us to be transformed into the image of God... We must be faithful. And those that lack faith, those that have chosen not to follow the gospel, make no mistake, by default, they lack God. Because they have no relationship, they have belief. And belief is simply not enough. You know, this morning, my hope is that we recognize that our faithfulness, whether we've been baptized and we've followed the gospel, or whether we've chosen to, to at times, take, take the world and, and, and the, the, the junk that it throws us and, and, and place ourselves above God in making decisions. My hope is we, we understand that our faithfulness is a game changer in our lives on a daily basis. This morning, I have not spoken on the first principles. I've spoken that they do exist, and it's important that you know that if, if you have been sufficiently taught, if you understand what God expects of you, and you recognize the need to be baptized, that the water is ready, and your sins can be forgiven. Or possibly if you've got a brother or sister present this morning that's really struggling, really down, and recognize, recognizes that the prayers and the love and the comfort of their church family is beneficial in more ways than one, then I would ask you to kindly come forward as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.